Let's open our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. And uh, we're going to read that passage in just a few minutes. want to welcome those of you who join us either on Facebook Live, on our webcast, on CFNT, on Channel 3. We're just really glad that you're here. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, this morning, and especially those of you who are part of our fellowship and you're choosing to worship with us online, we're really glad that you're here, especially for this time leading up to Christmas and to the birth, the celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 14 is where we're going to study God's word. Uh, and I've got some other scriptures that'll be on the screen for you. 1948, Israel was established, modern political Israel was established as a nation in the Middle East. At that point in 1948, every Muslim nation around Israel at that time vowed to be enemies of Israel. As a matter of fact, their words were, we will drive them into the sea. Well, 72 years later, uh, and a, a very very tenuous peace at times and sometimes all-out war, uh, something remarkable has happened. And what has happened, it was overshadowed, obviously, by the presidential election and over the crisis of COVID-19. But back in the late summer, President Trump led uh, the nation of Israel and two Muslim nations, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, to a peace treaty. They actually signed a peace treaty between those nations. A little bit later, Morocco followed, and as recently as last month, Sudan, a Muslim nation, has signed a peace treaty with Israel. Now, while this may not seem to be uh, very important, this is a really big deal. As a matter of fact, it, it stands a chance of being one of the most historic things that has happened in the last four years of President Trump's, uh, uh, President Trump's presidency, simply because this was something that was thought to be absolutely unattainable that a Muslim nation would sign a peace treaty with Israel. It has absolutely been uh, remarkable. It goes to show us one thing. That even the most bitter foes, even the worst of enemies, can make peace. And that ought to certainly be true in our lives. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, seeking peace in our personal relationships, seeking peace at our school, seeking peace in our families, in, uh, in, our, in our community, seeking peace ought to be, we ought to be at the front of the line when it comes to peace. We simply ought to be people who are seeking peace everywhere we go. Personally, I don't know about you, but conflict is not something that I enjoy, but it just seems to find me. When was the last time you had a conflict with somebody? Some of you going this morning on the way to church. That's when the, that was the last time. When was the last time you had maybe a really serious conflict with someone? When was something that really divided a relationship, something that really separated you from a close friend? See, making peace saves friendships. Making peace heals broken fellowship in churches. Making peace can keep partnerships together in the business world. Making peace makes for a more productive and a more pleasant nation to live in. So I want us to talk this morning about 
making peace. We've been talking about peace for this entire month. We talked about peace with God. That's eternal peace, the first step we need to take. Last week, we talked about internal peace. That's tranquility of our souls, peace of mind that only comes from from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, today, what I want to talk about is that external peace. How do I live at peace with other people when sometimes they are so different from me? We don't see eye to eye on anything. We come from different cultures or different backgrounds. How could I possibly live at peace with these people? Let's read the passage together, beginning at Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Let's unpack what it means to really be a person of peace. It may not be popular in our culture to be a peacemaker, but it is the priority that Jesus lays lays out for us. Let's talk about the priority of peacemaking. One of the things we need to remember is that most of the New Testament was written in a period of incredible conflict. I mean, read the book of Acts. Christians were in total conflict with the culture, with the religious culture that surrounded them. Not only that, but there was a government that became increasingly opposed to Christians and to Christianity. Romans was written in about the mid-50s, in the year about 54, 56 AD. Nero became the emperor, the Caesar in Rome, and Nero was one of the cruelest emperors toward Christians. And so Paul writes this passage in a period of time in which peace was not the prevailing mood for followers of Jesus at all. As a matter of fact, Paul, I believe, was hearkening back to the words of Jesus when he wrote these words. The words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Those of us who are a part of the family of God, those of us who have received from God peace with him, that eternal peace, ought to be peacemakers. There's an interesting thing about that word. That's the only time in the New Testament that compound word, peacemakers, is used. It's the only place in the Bible you're going to find it is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. But it is also an active word. 
a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper, not somebody who just tries to not disturb the peace, not, certainly not somebody who is actively breaking the peace, but somebody who's actually making peace, who's taking the initiative. It is an active word about trying to heal relationships and to, uh, to actively pursue peace. We read a devotional this past week, just doing some research for this. And the guy who wrote the devotional said there are three kinds of people when it comes to peace. There are peace breakers. There are people in your life and in mine who love to stir the pot. They love to kind of stir up some controversy. All the time, they're looking for some way to get people all worked up. They love conflict. They're angry. They insult people. Maybe they slander people, spread rumors about them. Uh, they chime in anytime somebody's kind of harassed on social media. and They kind of chime in and make sure that they just keep that fire going. Um, and when it comes to conflict, I want you to think about conflict as like a spark. And you, as a follower of Jesus, you're walking around with two buckets. One of your buckets has gasoline in it, and one of your buckets has water in it. And when it comes to conflict, the peace breaker, he just wants to take that bucket of gasoline and throw it on the spark so that it burst into an inferno, so that it burst into flame. As followers of Christ, we need to be the ones who pour the water on it. We don't need to be peace breakers. But then there are peace fakers. Peace fakers are people who pretend that everything is fine, but they're just simmering and seething right there under the, under the surface. They're the people who tell you to your face, oh, everything's all right, I'm not offended. And then they go around your back, back, behind your back to another group of friends and tell you what a terrible human being you are. Anybody ever, any, can I get a witness over here? Anybody ever had that happen to them? Most of us have. And these peace fakers do nothing but through their passive, aggressive behavior, they just begin to sort of sprinkle the gasoline on the fire. It may not be an outward, overt way in which they break the peace, but they're peace fakers. But Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, to actively, kindly, but firmly, constantly seek to, to restore relationships. It is the relentless desire to resolve conflict. Peacemakers are people who walk into situations where there is tension and they seek to resolve the tension. They walk into situations where there is disagreement and they seek to find some area of common ground. We may not be able to ever agree on everything. Peacemakers take a firm stand when there's sin involved. But when it's areas of preference and when it's areas of personal opinion, peacemakers try to settle the conflict. A few years ago, I, I used to play golf. I, I don't play golf anymore. I've only got time for one hobby, and, and so I, I picked another. But I used to play golf. And I had a couple of guys, there were about, as a matter of fact, there were three of us, so you have a foursome, that played golf together all the time. Uh, every, almost every Friday afternoon, we went and played golf. Well, two of my guys were actually business competitors, and they were, um, they were friends, but they were in business. They competed against one another in the same kind of business. And one of them, they were bidding on a contract and trying to get this deal, and one of them felt that the other had, 
had slighted him, had kind of done something maybe just a little bit under the table on the deal, and he accused him of that, and the other one was offended by that, and all of a sudden, my golfing buddies, were, I mean, they're, they're ready to, I mean, they're pretty much ready to fight about it, I mean, like with fist and the whole deal. And I realized that in that situation, number one, I'm both of their pastor, and I'm both of their friends, and I'm tr- trying to figure out how to navigate this, and here's what I decided I can be a peacemaker or I can be a side taker. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the most dangerous things you'll do in relationships sometimes is to take sides. Because when you take sides, you alienate the other person. Now, if there had been something that I knew was morally wrong, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to that person in private and say, Hey, look, I think maybe you crossed a line over there. You need to apologize. That would be the thing to do. But in that situation where I didn't know and and I couldn't figure it out, I didn't understand their business. What I want to do in that situation is try to make peace between the two parties. I want to be a person who is known for making peace. Now, eventually, and it wasn't because of me, but eventually those two guys patched things up, agreed to disagree, and they moved on. And by the way, we kept playing golf together eventually. We didn't play for a few weeks, but eventually they did. And what I'm going to tell you is this. That Jesus is honored when we make peace. It isn't that important that you always make your point. But it is important that you make peace. There is a priority of peacemaking. So you're going like, okay, how do I do that? Glad you ask. Let's talk about the pursuit of peacemaking. And that's what I believe Paul lays out for us in this passage of Scripture. He lays out for us five principles that if we would remember these, if we'd kind of embed these in our thinking process when it comes to conflict, we can be peacemakers. Here's what Paul would say to us. First of all, see things from another's perspective. Most of the time our disagreements happen because we are focused in on our agenda and how a situation affects us and we don't consider the needs of others. We don't consider how a situation may be affecting them and and their family or their life. This is what Paul says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. Paul would say to us, the first step to peacemaking is to try to see the situation from somebody else's perspective. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, the apostle Paul wrote, Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. If we would simply stop being so defensive sometimes of how something affects us and look at a situation And put ourselves in another person's shoes. Sometimes it could lead us at least uh, on the pathway to peace. We, We could take that first step toward peace. This is the value of being empathetic. To try to feel what another person feels. To try to see what they see. To try to understand how a situation deeply affects them. So, see things from another person's perspective. Consider others. Secondly, swallow my pride. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. That, that's an old word, even though I'm reading from a modern translation. We don't use that word, the word haughty, very much anymore. It means to be prideful. 
But let me, let me help you with what that actually, like what it really means. It means to have a sense of superiority to another person. Either superiority because of race, superiority because of I think I'm smarter than you, superiority because I think socially I'm of a better class than you, superiority because I think spiritually I'm just a lot more mature and I'm a lot deeper spiritually than, than you are. It is a sense of spiritual pride and spiritual superiority over another person. Paul says, you need to lay aside that sense of spiritual pride in your life. So many times that is rooted deeply in refusing to admit that we were wrong long after we realize that we were. I mean, come on, we've all been wrong before. And we've all been wrong and we've all been proven wrong And then we've kept arguing the point because we didn't want to admit we were wrong. The three hardest sentences in the world to say all have three three words. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I don't know why, but those are the three hardest sentences in the world for most of us to say. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Forgive me. Paul says, lay aside your pride. Swallow your pride. Then he says this, associate with the lowly. In other words, those people you're looking down on, those people you think that you're better than, those people you think you're right and they're wrong, associate with them. Walk a mile in their shoes. Try to appreciate what they've experienced in their life. In 1930, the Chief Justice of the United States died and a new Chief Justice was appointed. His name was Charles Evans Hughes. He'd been the governor of New York, held some other political offices, and uh, he moved with his family to Washington, D.C. Charles Evans Hughes was a lifelong Baptist. His father had been a Baptist preacher. And so when he moved into a neighborhood, he simply went down the street to the nearest Baptist church that was in walking distance of his home, and he joined that church. That church had a tradition that would not work in our generation, and that is that once a month, all the people who joined the church, they would bring them up to the front of the church at the conclusion of a service and line them up across the platform, and they had to introduce themselves. Now, most of you are like, I don't think I'd ever join a church if they made me do that. Well, they did that in this church. It's a different time. We get that. Well, the first person that the pastor brought up was a a Chinese immigrant. He had moved from, uh, from San Francisco to Washington to start a laundry, which was a very common business for Chinese immigrants in the early part of the 20th century. And he, the pastor brought him up and he kind of stood to one side of the pulpit And then the pastor started bringing up other families that had joined the church. And one by one, all of these Caucasian American families lined up across the pulpit, except they all lined up on the opposite side from the Chinese immigrant. And by the time it's nearly over, there are 12, 15 people over on this side, and there's one guy over here, this Chinese immigrant. But the pastor had saved what he thought was the best for last. 
I mean, we're going to introduce the new chief justice of the United States who's joined our church. Pastor was pretty, pretty proud of that fact. And he introduced Charles uh, Evans Hughes. And Charles Evans Hughes walked up to the front of that church. And he stood over to the side of the Chinese immigrant. That is associating with the lowly. When nobody else wanted to stand next to the guy, he chose to humble himself and to associate with the lowly. Sometimes we need to take the posture of humility, especially in disagreements. It is possible that I am wrong. It is po- I know it's rare, but it is possible that I was wrong. Number three, decide what is worth a fight. Now, there's an interesting phrase that Paul uses in this passage that is, that is certainly worthy of unpacking. Paul writes, if possible, be at peace with all men. If it's possible, and there's a reason for that. Sometimes peace is not a possibility. You see, when we're talking about issues like of doctrine, what the Bible teaches, I'm not willing to compromise on that. I'm not going to compromise what the Bible says is true. When it comes to morality, the Bible says some things are always right, some things are always wrong, and that is not an issue that I am willing to compromise on. So if I have engaged in a disagreement over the deep truths of Scripture, about what God says is morally right, if we disagree, we're just going to have to disagree. Now, I, I shouldn't be disagreeable. I don't have to be harsh and abrasive and use abusive language, but it may not be possible for me to be at peace with people who see life through a totally different lens than I see it if that lens is scripture. But he says this, if possible, now listen to these words, so far as it depends on you, Paul squarely puts the responsibility for peace right on us. He says, you make sure that you're not part of the problem. If you're saying it's not possible for me to be at peace with that person, then you make sure you've done everything you can do before you make that claim. Now, how do you know if you've done everything that you can do? Well, here's my counsel to you. What you do is you ask somebody who's not emotionally involved, have I done everything that I should do? A lot of times I'm going to maybe make one little overture, maybe one little step, and then I'm going to say, hey, I tried, I tried. I just can't get along with that person. I tried. And maybe I haven't done everything that I could do to exhaust the possibilities for peace. But Paul says, if possible, if it's not something that you really should take a stand on, Because here's the honest truth. What we want to believe is that what we take a stand on, well, this is an important issue. It's an uncompromisable issue. But the truth is, most of the time, it's issues of personal opinion. It's not deep doctrinal truth. It's not moral right and wrong. A lot of times, it's what I like or what I want. That's where I really disagree with people most of the time. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, you take personal responsibility to be at peace with all people. Now you can take that counsel or 
You could take the counsel of a native tribe that lives high in the Andes Mountains of Peru. Long before Roman Catholic missionaries introduced the Christian faith and Christmas to them, in late December, they were celebrating a festival called Taconaqui. I probably mispronounced that. But Taconaqui is a festival of music and food and dancing and fistfights. Sounds like your Christmas, doesn't it? No, 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 please don't. In this, in, this, uh, in this particular culture, once a year, at the end of the year, if anyone has a grievance against someone else, if they feel like someone offended them, if they feel like someone has, has slighted them in some way, at the festival of Taconaqui, they can challenge them to a fist fight right there in the town square. No assault charges can be pressed. You just have a fight. You fight it out. When it's over, however, the rule is this. It can never be spoken of again. Now, for some of us, we might just opt for that. It's kind of like boys on the playground when we're in the fourth grade. You just fight it out and you get over it, right? But that's not the way that Jesus commands us. The way that Jesus commands us is he says this. You don't have to hang on to that old offense until you wait for the fist fight. As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to this verse from Proverbs 19, verse 11. If you don't take anything away from this sermon, I wish you'd just listen. Give me, give me the next 30 seconds. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You don't have to be offended about everything. You really don't. You don't have to be offended about everything. You could overlook a transgression. You could come to realize that they really didn't mean that personally. That they really weren't aiming that at you. If you only knew how little they think about you, you wouldn't worry so much about what they think about you. Most of us get all offended. We think somebody has personally targeted us. They personally offended us. When the truth is they're so self-absorbed, they weren't even thinking about us. And what we need to do is be people who just forgive things and let it go. I mean, be Elsa, okay? Let it go. You don't have to hang on to every offense you don't, have to, you don't have to remember every slight, every insult, every time someone said something that, that hurt your feelings. It is his glory to overlook a transgression. Be bigger than that. I think social media has exasperated this with a lot of us. Somebody gets offended. They tell all their friends that they're offended. And rather than us saying, hey, just overlook that. Let it go. They mean that. Oh, no, no. We got to chime in. Oh, you should be offended by that. That's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. And we inflame the passions and we throw gasoline on the fire, not the bucket of water. So decide if something is really worth fighting for. Number four. Leave judgment to God. Here's how you can, here's why you can overlook the offense. Some of you are saying, oh, Bob, I can't let it go. I just can't let it go. Yes, you can. You let it go and you leave it with God. 
you let him take care of it. If it's something that needs to be taken care of, look back at the verse. Verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Let God take care of it. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Paul says, look, if you really are offended, if you really are slighted, if somebody really does something harmful and hurtful to you, it's not your job to pay them back. It is your responsibility to still love them. Do you know the most radical thing that Jesus ever said was love your enemies? Love your enemies. Pray for people who persecute you. We as 21st century Christians have by and large wanted to rip those verses out of our Bibles. What we want to do is if you have a different political perspective than me, if you have a different social perspective than me, if you see anything different than me, you're my enemy and you are worthy to be loathed. No, that is not the way of Jesus. Here's what Paul says. Paul, quoting from the Old Testament, by the way, says, if your enemy is hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And the metaphor, it's a metaphor of heaping burning coals on their head. They'll feel a sense of shame over the way they've treated you. You respond to their injury with kindness. You respond to their insult with blessing. And the Spirit of God has room to work in their life. You leave room for God to work. And then he says, fifth and finally, treat others the way you want to be treated. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus said it this way. Do to others whatever you would like for them to do to you. Treat others the way you'd like to be treated. For most of us, when we're offended, I mean, when we're hurt, when someone does something that causes conflict, what we want from God on them is judgment. God, give them justice. Give them what they deserve. When the shoe is on the other foot and we've hurt somebody, we've offended someone, we're the guilty party, what we want is mercy. That's what we want. So what Paul is saying and what Jesus said is don't give them what they deserve. Give them what you wish you'd received in the same circumstance. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. We used to call that the golden rule. That may be out of fashion now, but it's still written in red in my book. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. See, I believe that the path of peacemaking is the way of Jesus. Now, I realize that in our world that that's just not the way we see things. No, if someone has offended me, what I should do is write a reply in all caps. Because if I scream it through social media, surely they will change their mind. Probably not. But there is something better than making your point. 
There is something better than making your point, and that is making a brother. And that is the prize of peacemaking. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Remember? Through the blood of his cross, he reconciled us to God. We were enemies with God, but now we're friends of God and in the family of God. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them as he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as Though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, the prize of peacemaking is not that we win the argument. It's that we win a soul to Christ. That we win someone to faith in Jesus. Not that we win when it comes to prevailing in the conflict, but that Jesus wins in that that person comes to seek him for repentance and forgiveness and eternal life. Let's pray together. Some of you in this room, you walked through the door and there was a sense of turmoil in your heart and your life because of conflict. I want to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray that God gives you both the opportunity, the wisdom, and the courage to be a peacemaker this week. Father, you have called us to be people of peace. Uh, not a fake peace where we smile, but inside we are bitter and angry but a true peace of reconciliation. And so I pray for husbands and wives that you would grant them that spirit of peacemaking. I pray for friendships among our students, college students, and our adults where maybe we've said things that were hurtful we've piled on when other people ridiculed or laughed. Lord, grant us the grace to reach out and to make peace. I pray for relationships, especially with people who are far from you. And sometimes the way they see life, the way they see morality is so far from where we are, we think there is no way that we could be at peace. Lord, grant us the grace to feed them and to give them drink, to act in a way that shows your kindness that might lead them to repentance. I pray for those who've never experienced peace with you, God. And I ask that in this moment, that by your spirit, you would draw those who are far from you to faith in Jesus. I pray for those who are not at peace with you, God, to 
to turn to Christ and to realize that what he did on the cross paid the price for their sin and that by his resurrection, you offer them the free gift of eternal life. And I'm praying that by repenting and believing that right now they would accept your gift of eternal life and peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen.